Okay, Tov, and welcome to our continuing series in Dafyomi, and today we have the pleasure of beginning Masachet Chagiga. How appropriate for us that we finished Masachet Moed Katan, dealing with the laws of Chol HaMoed, An Chol HaMoed, and begin studying the Masachet Chagiga, which deals with korbanot to be brought during a Moed, also on Chol HaMoed. Um, we're going to begin by taking a look at two uh, prefatory uh, comments, uh, both from the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, one from his introduction to Hilchot Chagiga, which is found in Sefer Korbanot, and the next from Perak Aleph Halcha Aleph of Hilchot Chagiga, which introduces the mitzvah, or really three mitzvot, that we're going to be dealing with in the first parak, really only the first part of the first parak. Masachah Chagiga is really built as uh, three different Masachot. The first Masachet, if you will, of Masachet Chagiga, which goes until near the end of the first parak, deals with the mitzvot related to making Aliyala Regel, to come to pilgrimage to Shalayim three times a year. Uh, the second section, which begins at the end of the first parak and goes through much of the second parak, deals with issues chiefly related to which sections of the Torah are appropriate to be taught publicly, which should be taught only to one single individual or whatever configuration. And from there, the Gemara dovetails in some, into some of the most mystical uh, discussions that are found in the Bavli. Uh, and then the third section, because there is an obligation for someone to purify himself before the Regel, uh, and that has all sorts of halachic implications that we'll see when we get there, the latter half of the Masachet, or really the latter third of the Masachet, deals with issues of Tumah Vitahara. So we will be going through all of this over the course of the next uh, three and a half weeks or so, until our Siyum on Seder Nashim, when we will then begin Masachet Yivamot. The Rambam, in his introductory comment, as always, lists whatever mitzvot are going to be explicated in the given section. And so he lists... The following. I'm reading right off of the handout. If you don't have it yet, please take a look either online or else print it out so you can follow. Of course, if you have a Rambam, open it up to say for Korbanot, you'll see. There are six mitzvot in this section. These are the details. To be seen by the face of God, what that means halachically is to appear before God uh, in the Mikdash. Lachog v'shalosh v'galim, to celebrate or fest- festively on the three festivals. Lismoach bar galim, to enjoy or to be elated during the festivals, which is not the same, as we will see forthwith. Elota say shalo yei re'kam, not to be seen empty-handed. And the last Mitzvah Lotase and the last Mitzvah Tase are really not of our concern, but we'll see them anyways. We are obligated several times in the Torah that every time we celebrate, and specifically every time we come to Shalayim, we have to make sure not to abandon the Levi along with other disenfranchised people uh, and uh, make sure that they celebrate. And the last one is the Mitzvah Hakel. The Rambam deals with in the third parak of Yechot Chagiga. Uh, we will touch upon Hakel, but not in too great detail in our study of Masachat Chagiga. So the Rambam begins Yechot Chagiga as follows: Shalosh mitzvot asay nitzavu Yisrael b'chol regel mishalosh regalim. 
we have three mitzvot say that every Jew is out, or that Am Yisrael is commanded, let's be more careful, to fulfill on each one of the three pilgrimage festivals. One is Hariyah, Hariyah, which we're going to refer to many times in the next week. Shnemar Yehra'eh Kol's Churcha. Take a look at Pasuk number one on the page. Shalosh Pamim Hashanah Yehra'eh Kol's Churcha. All of your males will appear before God. V'chagigah, Chagigah, which is another offering. Shnemar Tachog L'Hashem Lokecha. You shall celebrate festively that is specifically a festive offering, v'hasimcha, and celebration or elation, shenemar v'samachta b'chagecha. Samachta b'chagecha is pasuk number two on the page, tachog libashana is part of pasuk number one on the page. Now, hariyam ravatora, what is this riyah? He shenere panav ba'azara, or nerae panav ba'azara, we should be seen by God in the courtyard, b'yom tov rishon shachad, the mitzvah is to come on the first day of yontem. Yavi imo korban ola, and to bring a korban ola, bein min ha'of, bein min It could be a bird, which is, of course, very inexpensive. It could be an animal. Someone who appears on the first day of Yom Tov and does not bring a korban. Not only did he, did he, did he neglect the mitzvah ta'aseh, he violates a lav, my face should not be seen, with you coming empty-handed. After all, you cannot get makot for this lav. It's a lav of neglect, not a lav of commission, and therefore there is no makot. That's ri'iyah. To bring a korban shlamim on the first yom tov shachag, when you come to be seen. Everybody knows that shlamim cannot be a bird, and therefore it must be a behemah. Women are not obligated in these two mitzvot. What's simcha, the third mitzvah? To bring extra shlamim above and beyond your shlamei chagiga. Or shlamei simcha. So that's what they are called. Shinemar is a vachtash lamim v'yachal tasham v'samachta lifnei Adonai Elohecha. This is a pasuk that I did not quote in the uh, site here because the significant section is totally found in the Rambam. Um, but you shall offer up shlamim uh, and eat there and rejoice before Hashem, which proves to you that rejoicing is only fulfilled through the eating of shlamim. Nashim chayavot mitzvah zu. Women are chayav in this mitzvah. And as you can see, the Ravid makes a comment. He said, Amar Avraham lobe korban. Women are not obligated in the korban. Ela besimcha, rather just the rejoicing. Shtismachim ba'alash taleim ovu yisamachota. And she must come up to Shalom with him, and he will elate her with however he elates her with, with food, with jewels, whatever it is. And um, and that's how she's led. She's not obligated in the korban. Good. So now we have in front of us uh, nine psukim, uh, two of which we've already dealt with, but we'll see also in the Gemara, and a relatively uh, brief outline that takes us to the bottom of the page. And so now let's begin our study of Masachet Chagiga. Hakol chayavin All are obligated in the mitzvah of Re'iyah. All of we've already seen in the Rambam that certainly cannot be true. So we're going to see this in the context of the exemptions. Chutz. Who is not obligated? So the first is Chereshotavakatan, our famous triumvirate of halachic incompetence. 
the Cheresh, which in this case we will find out means even a uh, a Cheresh, uh, a, a deaf person who speaks or a mute uh, who uh, hears. Shotevikatan, an imbecile, and we're going to deal tomorrow with uh, the next podcast with uh, the definitions of a Shotev. And a Katan, but not every Katan, as we will see in the Mishnah. Betumtum vandrigonos vinashim. Tumtum is someone who has no primary sexual uh, characteristics. And an androgynous is somebody who's a maphrodite, who has both genitalia. Vinashim, women are exempt. Va'avadim she'inam slaves who are not yet freed, which is an awkward phrase, and we'll see why it's there. So that is the second group. The first class is people who are incompetent. The second is people who, because of their gender or their the fact that they are slaves, are exempt. The third is people who are disabled in one way or another. A chiger, a lame person, a suma, blind person, a choles, someone who's sick, a zaken, somebody who's elderly, somebody who cannot walk up to the Temple Mount. That doesn't mean they have to walk all the way from uh, from Tel Aviv. It means they have to be able to walk from Yerushalayim up to the Temple Mount. Now, Ezu Katan, when we said katan is exempt, which katan do we mean? So here we have machlok. Shemai has a very lenient approach here, or shall we say very very stringent approach in who he obligates. He says, any child who is not capable of riding on his father's shoulders from your shalayim up to Harabayit is exempt, which really makes it very, very small uh, this, of course, any obligation that a child would have before the age of 13 would be, of course, Midrabanan as part of the process of Chinuch. Betilal are more lenient and suggest that, is, that until the point that a child can walk holding his father's hand up to Harabayit, uh, he is exempt. But at that point, he's obligated. Shenamar, what's the proof text? Shalosh Rigalim. There are three walking festivals, and therefore, as long as the child can walk, he's obligated. Now, the second point, which really is Mishnah Bet, is the amount of money you have to expend, the minimal amount of money you have to expend on the Korbanot. In Shemayim Rim, Hariyash Te Chasef, Riyash has to be 200 Zuz, Vahagiga Ma'a Kesef. The Chagiga has to be 100 Zuz. Uh, good. Okay. We tell have it reversed, which is that the riyah is 100 and the chagigah is 200. And the difference, of course, is whether we place more emphasis on the korban that's all going to be burnt up, which is Beit Shammai's approach, or the korban that's going to be shared. We will see this argument played out a little bit later. Good, so the Gemara immediately looks at the first word in the Mishnah and assumes that Hakol is there to somehow include somebody who's not explicitly mentioned. Hakol latu yemai. Why does it say Hakol chayavin biriyah? Everyone is obligated except for, and give this long list. Why didn't it just say, and this is probably what's behind the question, why didn't it just say the following are exempt? Why did it say everybody's obligated? There must be somebody that we would not have known was obligated that gets kind of snuck in here. And this is what we're going to deal with for the next few minutes. Somebody who's a half-slave, half-free man. Now, the way that that could happen, the simplest way, is that a man owned an Ebed Kanani, 
and died. And he had two sons, and they inherited the entire estate. And they, one of the sons freed the Evid Kanani, the other didn't. So the Evid is now a half Evid, half Ben Chorin. So he has a part of him which is an Evid and a part which is a Ben Chorin. We dealt with that in Rosh Hashanah in the context of whether he could blow shofar even for himself. So now, we will see later on that Ravina, we'll see this in the next podcast, that Ravina does not accept the notion that a half Evid, half Ben Chorin, and he has a good argument from our Mishnah that a half Evid, half Ben Chorin is not obligated. Well, the Ravina so according to Ravina, who, who is included with by, by virtue of Hakol? So he says, Remember in our Mishnah, said somebody who's lame is exempt. Well, what if somebody's lame on the first day, and then afterwards he gets better? His, his body is, is, gets more capable, more able. So he says that therefore, the even though we would not necessarily think so, because when Yontav started, he was lame, Hakol is there to say even he is Chayab. Except that is subject to a machloket that we're going to see much later on in the Daftat. That is the machloket between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Shaya about how to understand the rest of the obligation on the rest of the days. So we already saw in the Rambam, the real obligation begins on the first day. The question is, what if you didn't come on the first day? What if you weren't able to come on the first day? What if the first day was Shabbat? and you weren't able to bring those korbanot. So um, when you come on the second day or the third day, are you making up for the first day? Or if you come on the third day, is it that the chiyuv just continues to roll over to the next day? So on the second day, you had a chiyuv to make up for the first day, and on the third day, you had a chiyuv to make up for the second day. So what if you come on the third day? Are you making up the chiyuv of the second day or the original chiyuv of the first day? It sounds like uh, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin question. But it's not at all. Because what happens if you were not in the class of those who are obligated on the first day and you became obligated on the second day? Such as somebody was lame on the first day and on the second day got better. So if somebody like that comes on the third day, is he obligated or not? If we say that the obligation of the third day is really making up for what he didn't do on the second day, on the second day he was chayav because he was already better. Then he's chayav on the third day. If we say, on the other hand, that each of the subsequent days are all making up for the first day, then that means that since he was not obligated on the first day, he's never obligated. So we're still trying to find who is squeezed in into our, our Mishnah as an extra chiyu via, via the word hakol. The first attempt we had was a half evid, half ben chori. And we said, well, that will work except for Ravina's approach, which we kind of favor. And we'll see that we're not going to uh, to really uh, reject it. Uh, at the end of this piece. So the second possibility that we took was that it is a somebody who was lame on the first day and got better afterwards. That only works if you hold that each day is the makeup for the previous day. But if you hold that each day is a makeup for the first day, then this chiger is never chayav during this Yom Tov. If he was lame on uh, Erev Sukkot, on the first day of Sukkot, then he's never chayav during that Sukkot. And I call Mai, then what's Hakol including? It's there to include somebody who's blind but only in one eye. And perhaps we could argue that that might parallel with somebody who's lame in one leg, but we'll see whether or not that plays out. Udaloki Haitana. But then that doesn't accord with this Tana. The Tanya Yochanan ben He says that a one, somebody who's blind in one eye is exempt from the Riyah. Why? Take a look on the sheet. 
have to look at the vowels. Yireh and Yireh. The text says, Shalosh Pamim Hashana Yireh. You will be seen. But the way that the word is generally read, if we didn't have vowels and we didn't have Masorah, we used what we call Yishain Lamikra, read it the way that it's normally, those letters are normally read, it's Yireh. So he will see and he will be seen. In other words, you are seen by God with, as it were, his two eyes. This is the Rashi and Tosfot here go to battle as to what it means, and it's a very difficult passage. But you are seen, as it were, with God's two eyes. Therefore, you only come to see God with your two eyes. Just like you come to see God who's looking at you with two eyes, as it were, so you come to be seen by God with your two eyes. So that means that we have an opinion that a, somebody who's uh, only got sight in one eye is exempt from the Riyah. So that means that Hakol cannot be including a half Ebed Ha'pen Chorin because of Ravina, or at least according to Ravina it can't. It cannot be there to include, because he says he's exempt. It cannot be there to include um, a uh, someone who was Chiger first day and then got better later because we have to take into account the opinion that says all are Tashlum and and so we say it may be referring to a one eye, somebody who's only got sight in one eye, but that's also a little bit problematic. We can go back to our original answer. Let's go back to our half half bin Ravina, and you're bothered by Ravina. Ravina will also be comfortable with this. Why? There was a development that we are witness to in the Mishnah in an evolution in our attitude towards a half Evan half Ben Chorin. In a, fantastic, in a fascinating Mishnah, which shows up in several places in Shas, um, it is found in a Mishnah in Eduyot, but it's a Sugin Gitten, it's a Sugin Psachim, it's a famous Sugin Babatra, and that is the following. Misha Chetziyah Ben Chetziyah Ben Chorin, our half and half God. Ovedu Rabbo Yom Achad, Vetatzmo Yom Achad, says a very simple solution. He works Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and whatever money he makes is for himself, and Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever money he makes is for his master. Amr lehem beit shamais. Beit shamais speak up and say, Tikantim at Rabbah, but that's Molo Tikantim. You fix things financially for his master, you haven't fixed him. Lisa shivchenu yachol. He can't marry a, a bondswoman. A bondwoman. Why? Because, after all, he's half ben chorin. Bat chorin in yachol. He can't marry a free woman because he's half heaven. Lee Batel, he's going to have no kids. The world is created to populate. This person has to has to be able to have a family. Look on the page, you'll see the Pasuk, Mishayahu. God did not create the world to be a wasteland. He created it to be settled. This is part of that larger group of enactments that are which are to correct um, uh, not miscarriages of justice, but but problems in social justice that occur, and therefore they, we have the whole series of takanot, the social of Megamliya or Megamliya Alzake, and mainly in in Gittin, the fourth fifth parkim, the Neitikun Olam, we force the other master to freedom. And the other master writes a star, giving him half of his value, which allows him to go free. Right? eventually acceded, and they said, you're right. Which means that in practice, somebody who is a half Eva, half Ben Chorin, is already in potential a free man, because he's not allowed to be held on to, uh, his master's not allowed to hold on to him. And so therefore, according to Mishnah Rishonah, and we're ruling like Beit a half Eva, half Ben Chorin, 
really remains a half heaven half ben chorin. And the Ravina would then be referring to that and saying, such a half heaven half ben chorin is certainly exempt from from um, from Riya because in lo Adon Echad, he has two masters. He has Hashem and his master. Once we already came to Mishnah Chorona, where the halacha is that half heaven and half ben chorin is on the route to getting freed. It's just a question of getting to his master and freeing him. But in potential, so he's already considered free, and therefore he's chayav. And therefore, a Mishnah Hakol, chayavin, is there to tell us what in practice a half heaven half ben chorin is obligated in Re'iyah. Good. The next clause in the Mishnah Now, we're a little bothered here because the Cheresh that's traditionally referred to in the Mishnah is a full uh, deaf mute. Alright, so let's see. are presented in one block. So that means that just like an imbecile and a minor are not considered competent, non capus mentis, right? And so the cheresh we're talking about must be somebody who's non compass mentis. And it supports the Mishnah. The, the default meaning of cheresh is a deaf mute. So what do we infer from that? If our Mishnah excluded a cheresh from Re'iyah, that means that somebody who is only partially cheresh, meaning he's only a mute or only deaf, is obligated. So now we have the following brighter, a little lexicon. Somebody who speaks and can't hear is called a cheresh. Shomea ve'inomedaber, a somebody who is only mute, zehu ilem, is called ilem. Zevazeh arein kepikhin v'chol divreim. And each one of them is considered 100% kapismentus and a competent person. And therefore, it makes sense that a, a what we would call a cheresh, just somebody who's deaf, or somebody, just somebody, somebody who's only mute, is chayav and re'iyat. Ma'i demedaber ve'inom shomea zehu cheresh. Parenthetically, how do we know that the word cheresh means uh, somebody who only doesn't hear. And we know that a mute is ilayim. Dichtiv, well, normally we would say we know the words, but we have a pasuk in tehilim. I am like a deaf person who doesn't hear. Or like a mute who cannot speak. As far as ilayim goes, there's also play on words, which is ilayim is ishtak el milule. His words have been taken away from him. Now, according to what we just said, somebody who only who speaks but doesn't hear or hears but doesn't speak is chayav and re'iyah. We have a bright that says the exact opposite. If you're only deaf or only mute, you're exempt from re'iyah. So, our Mishnah needs to be fleshed out a little bit. And this is how it should read. Everyone is obligated in Re'iyah and in the mitzvah of Simcha. We already talked about Simcha at the beginning of the shir. Chutz mi cheresh ha-medaber ve'eno shomea, shomea ve'eno medaber, shepatur min ha-re'iyah. Except for a cheresh who speaks, or a mute who hears, who is exempt from Re'iyah. In other words, everybody is obligated in Re'iyah and Simcha, except for the deaf or the mute who are exempt from Re'iyah, but even though they're exempt from Re'iyah, they're obligated in Simchas. They're only obligated in one of those two. But one who is a total deaf mute, 
ושוטר וקטן, פטור אף מן השמחה, הואיל פטור מכל מצוות אמרו פטור. Since they're exempt from all מצוות, they're also exempt from שמחה. תניא נמי אחי, we have a brighter that supports that. הכל חייבים בראייה ושמחה, חוץ מחירי שמדבר ואינו שומע, שומעים ומדבר שפטורים מהראייה, כפי שפטור מן הראייה חייב בשמחה. שאינו לא שומע ולא מדבר ושוטה וקטן, פטורים אף מן השמחה. הואיל ופטורים מכל מצוות אמרו פטורה. So we have a brighter that exactly replicates the way that we fleshed out our Mishnah. So the fleshing out of the Mishnah was not speculative, it was really based on a, on a good text that told us that the Cheresh referred to in the opening line is a, a full Cheresh, but that's referring to Simcha. Cheresh Yotav Katana Patur from the whole package. A Cheresh HaMedaber and a Medaber Ve'eno Shomea, a Medaber Ve'ilem, sorry, a Cheresh HaMedaber and an Ilem HaShomea are indeed exempt from simcha, and that's why the Brita said p'turim. Sorry, they're exempt from riyah. That's why the Brita said p'turim, but they are obligated in a simcha. Good. Now, So now let's ask, why is it that a deaf speaking person or a hearing mute are exempt from riyah and obligated in simcha? Either the chayav mitzvot or they're not. We have a Gzerashava that you're supposed to come and see God. That's the mitzvah of Re'iyah specifically. And it is parallel, it isn't created in an analogy via the Gzerashava Re'iyah Re'iyah to the mitzvah of Hakel. Now what does it say about Hakel? It's when all of Am Yisrael comes to be seen. And that's the connection they wrote. And how do we know that Hakel, a deaf uh, mute, uh, sorry, a deaf or a mute, is exempt? That they should come and hear and that they should come and learn. Okay. So Laman Yishmu is there to exempt someone who cannot hear, even though he can speak, because he can't hear. The mitzvah of Hakel is to hear. This is a little dicey that they should learn. Is there to exempt somebody who hears but cannot speak? Now that's a strange idea to say that because somebody's mute they can't learn. You say because somebody can't speak they can't learn? There were two mutes. They're in Rebbe's neighborhood. And they were the, uh, the grandsons and perhaps they were the nephews of Rabbi Yochanan. Every time Rabbi went to the Beit Midrash, they went in after him. And they stood in front of him. They would move their heads, and they would, uh, and their lips would move. And so Rabbi was so impressed by them, he davened for them that they should be healed. And indeed, they got healed. Turned out that they were experts in the halacha and in Tarat Kohanim and in, in the commentary on Babi Bardvarim and Sifri and the whole Talmud. They were experts. In other words, they had really soaked all this learning up, even though they couldn't speak. So, the text should not read, and I vocalized this on the handout. The text should not read Laman Yilmadu, but understand it is Lima'an Yilamdu or Yilamedu. 
not in order they should learn, but in order that they should teach. Rashi says, of course it has to be read that way, even though the text reads Yilmudu. So, if it only meant in order that they should learn, what if somebody who can't speak can't learn? We already have our story. So, if they can't learn, then we already know they're exempt from Laman Yishmu, right? Because Laman Yishmu is that they should hear and inter- integrate. If somebody who cannot speak cannot learn, then Laman Yishmu already knocks them out of the boat. It knocks out a deaf and a mute. So obviously, the man Yomadu must mean that they should come and they should teach, right? El avada the man yilamdu should be the man yilamdu, which means that somebody who can teach, in other words, only those who can teach the material are obligated to come to hakel, which means a mute is exempt, and therefore, since a mute is exempt from hakel because of the man yilamdu, and because a deaf person alone who speaks is exempt because of Laman Yishmu, and because Hakel is called being seen before God, therefore the mitzvah of Ru'iyah carries the same parameters, and the deaf person and the mute person are exempt. But they're obligated in all other mitzvot, and Simcha is a regular mitzvah, and therefore they're obligated in Simcha, and we would assume in Chagiga also. Amr B'Tanchum. Cheresh boz noachat patur min ar-Ru'iyah. here adds a, 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 an ancillary halachat to what we were just discussing, then we're going to get into some drashot of Tanchum, He said, somebody who's, who's deaf and only one ear is exempt. Shinemar be'oznehem. In Hakel, says, read this Torah in their ears. Ears is plural. We need be'oznehem for something else, which is, it has to be heard in the ears of all of Am Yisrael. In other words, you have to have this set up so, so that it can be heard by everybody. That's learned from the passage of Negev Kol Yisrael. All those psukim are on the page. Negev Kol Yisrael might say they all have to be there, even the ones who can't hear. Which means you have to have all the hearing Jews there. That we learn from the Man Yishmu. Therefore, Boznehem is extra to tell me it has to be people who have two good ears. Now, Amr Bitanchum That's what I mentioned earlier, is that there may be a parallel between being lame in one leg and being deaf in one ear and being blind in one eye. There may be. He said somebody who is lame in one in one uh, leg is exempt. They're called Rigalim. We used Rigalim to say it's there to exempt people with prosthetic leg with peg legs, essentially. Remember, the Torah says Shalosh Pamim Bashana and Shalosh Rigalim. Shalosh Pamim Bashana. Shalosh Rigalim Tachogli Bashana. So Rigalim, he says, Pamim is there to tell me because Pam, even though we know it means time, it also means steps, as we're going to prove in a moment. And and therefore, the 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 word Pamim is there to tell you, ask me people who can walk. And therefore, it exempts somebody who can, who, uh, uh, who, uh, sorry, that Pamim is there to tell you steps, and therefore that um, that exempts somebody who is walking with a fake leg. Regalim is therefore there to be in the plural to tell you that it has to be people who both legs are good. Tanya Pamim, and Pamim Elo Regalim, we know that Pamim means legs. V'cheinu Omer, Tirmasena Regal Raglei Ani, Pamei Dalim. You say you, you, uh, you 
trod over the legs, the legs of the poor man, the Pamei Dalim. And by virtue of parallelism of Tikbolet, we understand Pamei Dalim is the same as Raglei Ani. So therefore, Dal, poor man, Ani is parallel, Pam, therefore, is parallel to Regal, and we know it's a foot. Right, we're going to see a beautiful drush on this, but in Shirashim it says, how beautiful are your legs, that the, the daughter of the prince. Now, Darash Rava, what's the drush on that? How beautiful are the legs of Am Yisrael when they make Aliyah L'Regel. And this, of course, a play on words. Raglehen, L'Regel, uh, Bat Nadiv, why is she called Bat Nadiv in Shir Hashirim? Bito shel Avraham Avinu, Shnikra Nadiv. She's the daughter of Avraham Avinu. Right? Look at the children of Avraham Avinu making Aliyah L'Regel. Shinamar Nadivei Amim Nesafu Amelowei Avraham. The Pasuk can tell the Mem Zion. says, all of the princes have gathered the nation of the God of Avraham. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. Why Avraham? Elohei Avraham, Shayat Chilala Gerim. Because Avraham was the first of the Gerim, meaning first one to make this, and of course an easier way to draw Darshan it would be Avram was the first one to make an Aliyah to Harabayit, to Haramoriyah. Rav Kahana Darshan, not to Rabbi Yumi Mishimu Rabbi Tanchum, we have another Drash of Rabbi Tanchum that seems to have nothing to do with this, but is another Drash of Rabbi Tanchum, and that's why it's brought. Ma'idichtiva Borekin Bomayim, when the brothers threw Yosef into the pit. Ma'ashu Shinamara Borekin Yodashin Bomayim, it says the pit was empty. Why does it have to say there was no water there? If it was empty, then, um, then I know that there was nothing in there. And uh, the truth is, there was no water in there, but um, but there was uh, there were snakes and scorpions in there, which of course, on a simple level, means that the brothers, although they were not going to kill Yosef by their hands, as per the suggestion of Rufain, were willing to throw him into a pit that meant sure death. Uh, the Torah has a very nice piece on this. In his commentary on Bereshit Amitzai, an interesting reader should take a look. Everyone should have a wonderful day, and we will pick up Mirz Hashem at this point in the next podcast. Chag Sameach.